0: Destiny, (laughs) Would you stand with me? Let's pray and we'll, we'll jump right in this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We love your word. We love to be in your house and we love to hear from you. So Father God, give me your words this morning. We want fresh revelation from your word. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. So good to be with you today. Uh, I always love to see uh, your smiling faces right here in the seats in front of me, and also it's it's fun for me. Uh, I, I usually sometime on Sunday afternoon, it's begun to be of a habit. After we've been doing uh, the the online live stream, that I'll go back and and I read all the comments that are that have come in during the live service. I love to see that. Love to see you guys that are participating that way as well. It is, it is just as encouraging to me to see an amen typed in on the keyboard after the fact. I love it. You guys can get Pentecostal in here. You know you have that permission. You can always shout out an amen or a shout or a glory or anything you want at any time. The pastor loves that. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna conclude the, the positive message series this morning. We took a detour for, for a couple of weeks. For number one, um, I, I just loved having my cousin. Uh, amazing concert weekend with Jacob Daniel. That was the, if you, I hope you were able to be here for that. And then last weekend, the Shop family had a weekend off to celebrate uh, Bella's graduation. And you heard from the incredible Pastor Patricia Messer if you were here. And can I just say, can I just say, what an important right now word for the church? If, if you missed that, that was, a, that was a transforming word last Sunday. If you missed it, let me just encourage you to visit our website or dial it up on the podcast and watch or listen. It's really that important. It really is. Some of us, some of us including me, we need to do some unlearning. We need to do some unlearning things that we've had in our heads for maybe years. And and religion, here's the thing, religion can really put a lot of focus on us when in reality when we're doing this thing, right? This is all 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 about Jesus. Amen. The headline in this house is Jesus. And and so I'll tell you what, I love Patricia's message so much, I just wanna bring up some of her talking points just as we're jumping in this morning. If you, if you follow us um, on social media, on any of the different ways that we communicate, you know that we spend some time each week highlighting some, some key points from the weekend message each week. So uh, this was one of the first ones that we posted from Patricia's message uh, this week. It's time for Reformation. Anybody here? When she said that, I, I was, you know, when she said that a, a Reformation, this is what she said when she said that a Reformation changes things so that they'll no longer be the same. I love that. I, and I love that she mentioned revival too, that, re, that revival is a seasonal thing, but Reformation is lasting. Yeah. I, and... <laughs> I don't know, I just feel like asking the question, who's ready for God to just upend and reform and awaken a generation? I'm, I'm just, a, I am ready. Now, let me, let me just be the first one to raise my hand as high up in the air as I can. I'm ready. Do it, Lord. We want to know you and make you known on this planet and to know you and to know you more. And so Holy Spirit, lead the way. I've been saying it. I've been saying it for, for several years now, um, talking about a revival generation. If you, I, one of the things that I studied when I was in Bible college was generations, and it's so interesting how God moves in cycles. You know, there's seasons that we that we see happen every year. There's there's cycles. There's a farmer's almanac that you know farmers will will watch, and and there's the day and there's the night and there's there's all the tides and all the things that happen with the moon and there's all that stuff. And I and I, I studied generations. There was a there was actually a best selling. Um, book by the title of generations by I think the author 's name was Strauss, that was about this thick, and I remember reading it um, in in the the School of youth ministry that I was in, and it talked about how from the beginning of of the American history from the, the formation of our country. We've gone through this cycle of three generations and it's been this way in these three different types of generations um, all the way through our American history with one interruption at the Civil War. And if you study those generations, the time is right now for a Reformation generation, for God to awaken the church and just rise up. You know, some some of you have have you know, experienced some of that before. Maybe you're alive, you know, when the uh, Jesus movement was happening, or, or me, the birth of our four square church happened at Azusa Street, you know, 100 years ago now. God moves in times of, I, I was using the word revival, but now I like her word better, reformation, lasting change. Let do it, Lord, amen? I, I, reformation generation, and that word generation, by the way, includes all of us. I love to see the young people lead the way. In fact, that's the way it happens a lot of times because a lot of times, how many of you know when the the, the younger generations are on fire, it lights the whole church on fire? But in the same breath, how many of you know when a fire starts, if all you have is the kindling, and the the young parts of the tree and you don't have the branches and the logs that have been around for a while, that fire is not gonna last. And so we need every single generation to be a part of what God is doing. And so let's just believe it for it together. Let's lean into it, a reformation generation. Um, So listen, in order to be a part of this move of God, we've gotta tune our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears and lean into what God is doing in this time, amen? And so I think Patricia nailed it on the head with this next one. I was, I was watching the service, you know, on, on the archived live stream on our website, and I'm pretty sure I shouted amen at my computer screen when she said this. We can't hate anyone if we know God's love for them. Amen. We cannot hate anyone if we know God's love for them. Lord, help us with that. I know you've seen it. I've seen it so many of God's children, people in the church, Spreading hate and vitriol and blame and finger pointing in this season. And listen, just because this is an election year, there is no excuse for name calling and bigotry and, of course, racism, the politicizing of what feels like anything and everything, you know, from masks to going back to school to loving our brothers and sisters. Listen, if we are using our mouth or we're typing on the keyboard, anything that lessens the worth of another human being, regardless of political party or leaning, let me take us back. Back to this truth. We can't hate anyone if we know God's love for them. Amen. We can't. God is in the business of restoration and reformation. I liked it so much that I created another graphic with a part of that same quote. And then I added what the Lord told Patricia to journal if you were here again last week. This is what uh, she wrote down. It's a scandalous love that does please. Remember when she said that? It's a scandalous love. God's love for us Many times it's so overwhelming and so all-encompassing that it shakes up and even angers the religious. We see that in scripture and we see it today. People are still getting upset when followers of Jesus just love people and it makes them uncomfortable. I I love the story that Patricia shared. It's a story I've been following with Chris Burns and the revival that's happening on Bourbon Street in that bar where that new song came from that we sang this morning. God will go to the unlikely places and just light a match, won't he? (laughs) And it stirs up some of the the religious, you know, inklings in us. And just just so, this is a little forewarning, we're gonna talk about the words of our mouth starting next week with a new series that we're gonna call Big Mouth. Um, So get yourself ready um, for that. I think it's gonna be good. We're gonna spend about four weeks talking about the words of our mouth. So, jumping in this morning. So as of this weekend, actually as of, I think it was when the 20, when was the 29th? Was that Wednesday? I don't, I don't remember. I don't have a calendar in front of me. The 29th was Deanna and I have been back as installed, you're installed pastors for two years now. And um, I have been um, part of Destiny and, and as a youth pastor for, uh, for nine of those years, so 11 years here on site, on staff, um, as a pastor now. And then there was those eight years of you know, wandering in between, right? We were, we were all over the place. And really, we, were, we had the heartbeat of destiny with us even as we were away. Um, and, and really, I can say, and you can probably say if you've been around for the ride for a while, that there's never been a dull moment. We love how God's moving in the destiny family. When I look at this year, 2020, and I talk with my pastor friends, I have a lot of uh, friends in ministry. I'm I'm actually an area pastor, if you didn't know, for our South Dakota pastors. And we were on a call this week, and the guy that's above all the area pastors, we have six areas in our district for the six different states. So I I care for and and love on the pastors in in the great state of South Dakota. And uh, our leader asked us two questions. He said, how is the health... Uh, of the churches and the pastors in our district. Hey, Patricia, good to see you. I'm talking about you this morning. Good word. Can we just give her, just praise God for the word that God gave Patricia last week. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, so, so good. so the, path, the, the lead pastor asked us the question, how is the health of the churches and how's the health of the pastors in those churches? And then, then he asked uh, the question, what is God saying to you during this time? And it was just so easy. After last week and I said, reformation. <laughs> this is a time for reformation. And I tell you what, there were some other pastors, the area pastors on that call that just latched onto that too. Let's lean into that. So 2020... Has, has been a, a challenging season um, for our generation of, of pastoral leaders. There's, in the call, we were talking about, you know, our, our churches are strong, but we've got a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders in our district. We've got, just, to, just so you know, it's uh, not important to the conversation this morning, but we've got 150 churches or so in our district, in the Gateway District, and the kind of the word from from talking with the area pastors that our churches are doing well, you know, they're th- they're 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 thriving. We've got the the national statistic, just if you're interested, for people coming back on site to church locations is about thirty percent. And uh, so we've got a lot of people that are still watching online, but we're still seeing God do amazing things through this season. And God is, God is moving. And, and here's the thing, though, we're, we're, we heard from pastors that are, are feeling a little uh, weary, feeling a little tired. It's been a challenging season. There's been a lot of people to love on. And this is not to mention schools right? the, the, the our, our teachers and the, and the whole decisions that they have to make, which is big, a lot of big decisions happening this week in our, in our area, the government, um, and really, you know, any type of organization. And it's a bit of a paradox, honestly. Like on one side, it feels like there's there's way too much hate and not enough love. It feels like there's way too much fear and not enough peace, not enough shalom. But there's There's another side to the paradox. And I'm not sure you've seen the headlines, but the gospel of Jesus today, I'm here to tell you, is flourishing and people not only in America, but all over the world are coming to Jesus at an alarming rate. It, it, yeah, come in, somebody shout for that because that's some good news right there. That's what we're about. The, the headline is Jesus and people coming to know him and follow him. It's happening. I mean, hundreds of thousands right now all over the world. So there are those of you back in March, I love to tell the story that we're calling the church almost immediately when this thing was happening and saying, "What can I? Ha- where can I help? Put, put me in front of somebody, I want to meet a need. That was you. And, and you guys, the, the weekend, how many of you remember back to when Tiffany Mars was with us for Via Love um, International, The the giving that you guys gave, I mean, this was... During the beginning of this whole kind of shock and fear that the you know the world was going through, you guys outgave you gave above any other church that uh, this year to that ministry, and we helped feed over three thousand families down in Honduras. So praise God for that. And so the way you guys again the way you guys blessed my cousin Jacob Daniel, he just loved being here and coming to minister. It overwhelmed him. We had people writing checks in faith to meet the needs of others. So there's another side to this paradox. And I believe that how you land on which side of this paradox is largely determined by how you think. There's a lot of rethinking that we need to do, a lot of unlearning that we got to do sometimes. Specifically, do you tend to live your life through the lens of, I'm about to run out, I don't have enough. I've got to wait for that stimulus check to come in again, that second wave that's coming. Or do you live through the posture of, there's more where that came from because I serve a God that is more than enough. There's two postures because I'm telling you where you land and how you think largely determines the impact that God can use you to have on the planet Earth. That's why it's important. I believe that money honestly is probably the best testing ground of where we live. I'll talk about that just a little bit this morning. Scarcity or abundance, where are we at? How do you think about it? How do you operate, how you operate with money, for instance, is, is probably the best place to look. Where do you live in this place of scarcity or abundance? And so scarcity starts in the mind long before it plays out in the wallet. <laughs> and so let's just start this morning with a simple definition. It's simply the belief that there is not enough. That's what the scarcity mindset is. The prophet Haggai, he writes this. See if, see if any of you guys can relate to this. I'm going to read it to you. It says, you eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And those of you with jobs earn wages to put them in a bag with holes in it. <laughs> Who can relate? You don't need to raise your hand. Anybody been in a season like that? Like I just cannot get ahead. And scarcity, listen, it's not just a mindset. It's actually a cycle. And it kind of goes like this. Now, we're going to blank this. I'm going to give you a, a picture of this. And, and if you have the downloadable notes, it's, it's in the graph that's on your chart there. It starts with the fact that God supplies whatever we need. He supplies whatever we need. The, the, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Amen. And so we'll start with that including your paycheck, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And then here's what happened. Here's what happens. He supplies and we consume what he supplies, right? And after we consume, then we start to lack. And as we begin to lack, we start to fear. And then what we do with that fear is a lot of times we'll medicate it by consuming more. And so it's this kind of ugly cycle that we put ourselves through. And if, if you do not believe the scarcity mindset is real, can we just take a minute and acknowledge the great toilet paper shortage of 2020? <laughs> that was a real thing. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> and, and, and if you think about it, let's think about it for just a second. Um, here's the thing. I'm a smart guy, I think, and, it, and it's, it's still a bit confusing to me. How a respiratory virus of the lungs can create the greatest run in toilet paper in our planet's history. But here's the thing. It makes sense when you think about this. The the history teachers are one day going to be teaching about this. And they're going to be telling the students, the students will be confident that COVID-19 is the great diarrhea virus of 2020, right? And there was never a lack. There was never a lack. There was never an increase in need either, but what happened is you got some of us that got so out of whack with that fear, right, of not having enough that we emptied the shelves of toilet paper. (laughs) There it is, right there. Scarcity. This is real. So maybe you've got some scarcity in your life, but here's what God has called us to on the flip side, and that is abundance. Now, before I I go too much further, this isn't preaching a prosperity gospel this morning. This is is preaching about a God that um, is more than enough to meet your every need. It's not about hoarding it up for yourself, but it's about letting his abundance flow through you. Amen? Okay, so it's simply the belief that there is more than enough. There is more where that came from. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes this to the church. In Ephesians, in chapter three, he says, Now to him who is able to do, say it with me if you know it, far more abundantly, abundantly beyond in all that we ask and think according to the power that is within who? Us. Abundantly. Amen? Far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Now listen to this. I'm gonna make a statement, and it might seem a little harsh, but I, I, I want you to think about it for just a second. If you are a follower of Jesus, scarcity in that mindset is fiction. It is fiction. It is not rational. Here's why. Because everything About your God and the Holy Spirit who resides in you is exponentially more than enough. You hear that this morning? Everything about your God and the Holy Spirit who resides in you is exponentially more than enough. And if we live in contrary or contradiction to that thought, we're out of step with God's word. And so there are so many stories this year, and I love to tell them. There are so many stories that illustrate this. One of them came from right here at Destiny Foursquare Church, one of our own, I won't tell you who, because they don't wanna be recognized. But when they heard that they were gonna get a stimulus check from the government, they decided within an instant, they didn't even have to think about it, that it's not actually gonna be for me, but they're gonna bring it to the church. I want you to give it to whoever has the biggest need in the church. And I heard this story more than a few times that people earmarked whatever was coming to them from the government and said, I'm gonna meet a need. It's out of the overflow, out of the abundance. And listen, you might hear that and you think, well, they must be somebody that's loaded. That would be the kind of person that does that. And I would tell you, You know, I'm not naming any names, but I would just tell you from my third-party perspective, looking at their lives and knowing who they are, I would say, nope, that doesn't seem to be uh, the case by my estimation. Abundance, listen, abundance has nothing to do with what's in your bank account and everything to do with the God that you serve and how you think about him. (laughs) I'm about ready to preach this morning. It has to do everything with the God that you serve. And he doesn't, you know, listen, we're going to go to to my life verse, John 10, 10. This is the verse I kind of hang my whole life on, John 10, 10. The first part talks about the thief the enemy who doesn't like you very much, and he doesn't, he doesn't like your God very much, and he comes, the Bible says, only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's scarcity, right? That's, that's not enough. He's going to take. He's going he's to kill. He's going to steal from us. He's going to destroy. And Jesus says what? I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's the kind of life I want to Live and walk in. I want to walk in the abundant life. I want to walk in everything that God has for me. Abundant. This is the life that He's created for you to live. Amen. And so how do we inoculate ourselves against the scarcity mindset? We're gonna jump way back into the Old Testament and we're gonna look at a story. Uh, this is in the book of 2 Kings. It's unbelievable. We're gonna start, we're gonna start in chapter 4, verse 1. And God is gonna show us how to inoculate ourselves from the scarcity mindset. Here's what the Bible says, and I'll read it to you. It says, a certain woman, the widow of one of the guild prophets cried out to the prophet Elisha, My husband, your servant, Elisha, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, yet now his creditor has come to take my two children into servitude. So this is a bad situation. Elijah answered her and says, what do you want me to do for you? And then he didn't even let her answer the question, but he asked another question. He says, What do you have in the house? That's an important question right there. This is going to be really important, so remember that. What do you have in the house? She replied, and she says, This servant of yours has nothing in this house, oh, but a jug of oil. God's about to do a miracle out of something that seemed like nothing. Now understand the context of what's happening here. Give us a little backstory that first of all, the, the current king of Israel had led literally the entire nation to worship false gods. And so when she says that my husband's dead and he was serving God, she's basically saying we are one of the few in Israel that has been faithful and remained faithful to God. And yet, Here I am, I'm in a corner. So she's telling this story. And I would argue that she's probably, at least internally, if not externally, she's probably kind of upset. You see her situation? She, you know, because I've done everything that you told me to do and now my kids are gonna be taken, my husband is dead and they're gonna come knocking on my door and they're gonna take my kids into servitude because here's, here's what's happening, under Mosaic law, you could actually enslave people to settle a debt. And so since she didn't have the resource to pay the debt, they were gonna take her kids, bad news, right? That's what's happening, the woman is scared, she's desperate, And if you find yourself in a similar place today, or even if you might find yourself in the future in a similar place, we're going to look at three principles this morning, just really quickly, of God's provision out of this story, because God is the God of more than enough. God is the God of more than enough. Now, he provides for us because he loves us and because he's a good, good father, right? So the first is simply this, do not diminish what you have. Do not <laughs> diminish what you have because what you have, though it could feel like how the mother in our story responded, I've got nothing is basically her response, right? The truth is she actually had something. She had something, but it was oh so incredibly small to her that the words she used to describe what she had in the original language was nothing. I, I, I couldn't make a tossed salad with the amount of oil that I have is basically the response that she gave when when the prophet asked what's in my house do not diminish what you have because what you have ain't nothing sorry english teacher <laughs> what you have is not nothing <laughs> it is not nothing because in the hands of god with the blessing of god it is something it is something So don't diminish what you have. This servant of yours has nothing in this house but a jug of oil is what she said. Look at the dialogue in this story. So we already see in this dialogue, we see scarcity and we see abundance in in their conversation. He says, what do you have in the house? And let me tell you, that's abundance asking that question right there, right? What do you have while scarcity is fixed on what you lack? you see that? And if you spend more time, listen to this, if you spend more time complaining about your problems and acknowledging your blessings, God needs to set us free this morning from that mentality, from that scarcity mindset, because many times you have more than you actually think you have. God can do the miraculous, right? There is more good and more resource in our life than a lot of times than we give ourselves credit for. I think the second thing, and I love this, is that God often does the extravagant through what seems to be insignificant. I'm talking about extravagant. He often does the larger-than-life things through things that and, and people and postures that seem so small. Like the farmer. Like the farmer who, who would never harvest a crop if he always diminished you know, the tiny insignificance of the seeds that he plants, Right? But he doesn't view the seed for what it is. He views the seed for what it will create when it's planted, right? The harvest that comes as a result. It's the seed sown in faith where God does the exponential. You see that? And so let's just set the stage here. The mother's in her home. She's scared. She's talking to the the, the prophet. And she says, I don't know what to do. They're coming for my boys. And then in verse three, Elijah says this, he says, go out, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, as many empty vessels as you can. The prophet knows that God is about to do something. And so he tells her to get ready. He instructs her. Then he says, come back and close the door on yourself and your children and begin to pour the oil into all the vessels. And as each one is filled, I want you to set it aside. So she went out, she closed the door on herself and her children, and as they were handing her the vessels, she would start pouring that little bit of oil that she had that was barely enough to to make one one salad for for, for her house. She started pouring. Remember her saying, I've got nothing more than that to make a salad, right? I've got nothing more than this little bit of oil Here's what's happening. She takes that and she starts filling it into that first vessel. And it fills up all the way to the top. I mean, I'm talking about full, full. And she says, bring in another one. And they set it in and she starts pouring and it fills up another vessel. And then they bring in another one. (laughs) And she keeps on doing that. And she's, she's seeing a miracle happen in front of her. God often does the extravagant through things that seem insignificant. Why? why? Why would you think that he would do that? I think it's because no one else can get the credit when he does something remarkable. I mean, the Bible doesn't say if you have the faith the size of a football field, you know, then you can move the mountain. What does it say? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's through many times the insignificant that God will do the extravagant. And so I'm going to go there for just a second. I, I, I think there is no other principle in the Bible that illustrates this truth quite like the principle of the tithe. And so think about this for a minute. Think about this. The concept of the tithe is really a mind blower to a, a lot of people outside of the church and a lot of people that you know, haven't been around And it. Literally, it predated Mosaic law by about 400 years. Look at what the scripture says. Prophet Malachi wrote this. Many of you are familiar with this passage. Malachi chapter three says, bring the whole tithe, meaning the first 10% of your increase or your income into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It's the Old Testament temple. And in the New Testament, it talks about in the language of the local church. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. It matters to God that there is resource in the local church. And then God says something that he's never said before. He says, test me in this. Wait, doesn't the Bible say not to test God? Isn't that there in scripture? Yes, except for when God says this right here, test me in this. This is the one case where he does say, you could test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, you would not have room enough to contain it. I just keep on filling up those jars. I, is there, we, have, we have to start putting them in another room. They're not fitting in this room. We got to bring that jar over to this other room because I don't have room in this room. That is a God of more than enough. Have you ever thought about why God chose a percentage rather than amount? Like if, if God's primary concern was there being resource in the local church or in the temple at the time, why wouldn't he just say, you know, bring a month to the, to the local church. Why wouldn't you just say that? I mean, then there would be a, a lot of supply for a lot of the mission, but what would happen that would also rule out a lot of us from experiencing the miracle of God's provision. You see that? Because everybody can give 10%. Your kids, your children can learn to experience the miracle of God's provision on their allowance right now. Right? And why why ten percent and not you know ninety percent? Because we we already said it. God often chooses to do the extravagant through that which seems insignificant. Right? So you might be thinking, well, Pastor Sean, that's all that's all great, but I work for minimum wage and ten percent of minimum wage is Literally nothing, right? You might be thinking that this morning. And I just want to say to that, your nothing is often God's something. Don't diminish what you have. Your nothing is often God's something. When you plant it and you put it in the ground and when you bring it back into the storehouse, it is more than what it is on our human level of understanding, right? This is how God often works. He often does the extravagant, through that which is insignificant. That's why it's so important that you do not diminish what he's giving you because what you have, I hope you hear it this morning, is more than enough in his hands. Amen? More than enough. The last principle of provision is this. God's abundance often follows your faith. God's abundance follows your faith. So here she is. She's got this nothing amount of oil, she's got a room full of jars. And she just begins to pour. And she's like, I'm pretty sure I only had six ounces in this thing, but it's, it's keep it it's up this jar. And it's not stopping. And then the next thing you know, the first jar is full, full. And so she did what the prophet said. She set it aside and the kids brought another one and they kept on bringing another one and she started pouring and then that one got full. And then in verse 6, here's what it says. The scripture says, when all the vessels were filled, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And her son answered, there are none left. And then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God who said, let me stop there. She went and told the man of God, which means the prophet had removed himself from the room. You notice that? Why do you think that would be? Here's what happens in our, in our human fleshness sometimes. He, I think maybe it could be that he removed himself from the room because if he was in the room, then he would get some of the credit for that, right? The man of God was in the room and the vessel's filled. But no, he told her to close the door. It was just her, her children, and her God filling up those vessels. And God gets all the praise, right? So that's the story. This is personal. This is your God who loves you with an overwhelming love that we can't even describe with words. And and I want you to hear, somebody needs to hear this this morning. He's, He's saying to you, maybe even right now today, I see what you're going through. I see you. And I want you to know that I am more than enough right here, right now in your situation, whatever it is. I see you and I am here in the room with you. Let me fill your jars. <laughs> I'm the God of more than enough. I hear, him, I hear him say this morning, just trust me. Just trust me. When that last vessel was filled and there was not an empty one left, the oil stopped. And the prophet said, go sell the oil and pay off your creditor, and with what remains, you and your children can live. Now, we tend to get that backwards. We want to be generous. We want to be. We do. We want to be generous. We want to be a generous people. We want to live this lifestyle, and so we have this attitude of God, you know, if you could just give me more first, please. (laughs) And God's like, I'd love to. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm I'm asking you to have the faith to pour with what you have. And when we have the faith to pour, (laughs) here's the thing. He he says that and we come back with a response. But wait, if you would only just give me more first then I would be able to pour. And he says, no, but I I just, I want you to pour. It doesn't work that way with God because if we did not have the faith to first pour, then here's the thing. We're gonna think that the result of it is actually all for us. (laughs) right? And it can actually be destructive for us to just collect a bunch of things and be tied to a life of materialism. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not what we're talking about here. God loves you enough to not subject you to that. And so he will patiently wait until you have the faith to pour. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about your life, right? And then the God who created all things is the one who's about to bring more. It's the parable of the talents. God trusts you with more when you've been faithful first with the little, right? Some of you have maybe grown up in a poverty mentality, and it's just saying, I've got to hold on. I've got to hold on. Anything I've got, I'm going to hold on to the pennies in my pockets, right? And we can sometimes, I can do this. I can categorize my life Uh, financially speaking, in one of two seasons. There's seasons where you had to wonder how much you could afford to put in your car when you need gas, and then there's a season of I don't have to think about it, I just fill it up, right? For those of us that are currently living in that second season where you don't really have to think about it, you just fill up the car, I just wanna be really honest in the room this morning it is harder for us, for those of us in the room, in that position to pour in that season than the other. And here's why. Many times, that's the circumstance. And here's why. When you don't have much, there's nothing to lose. And all you have is faith. And so, I'm going to take my, my, little piece of, my little jar of oil and I'm going to start pouring. But then as God, God begins to bless your life and as you start to put him first and you start living out of the abundance, when you start to look at what you have in your jar, now it's actually not nothing and now it actually starts to be something and it, then it becomes a battle between am I gonna continue to live out this faith to poor or I'm gonna start tipping to God. Oh, that was good. That was good, God. I'm gonna give you a little tip. I'm gonna hold on to the rest of this just for safekeeping because I know that you like me to save. So I'm gonna do that, you know, and we start holding back on pouring. See, here, the, the, one of the best definitions or, or pictures or word pictures I think I've ever heard, at least for me personally, was a youth pastor told me what it meant to be the life of a disciple, what it meant to be a disciple in Jesus. And he simply said that discipleship is just simply being so full of who Jesus is that you're constantly, you're, you're walking in the overflow. You're spilling out wherever you go. That's discipleship. It's just, it's just being so full of who Jesus is and he keeps on pouring into, but here's the thing. In order for him to keep on pouring into, you've got to pour out. <laughs> you've got to let it flow through you, right? And then again, I, I don't want to be in the place where I, I just spill myself out and then I find myself spiritually dry. I need to keep on asking him to fill me up because he is the God of more than I I, I see the opposite of that sometimes too where Christians are walking around dry and barren and they've, 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 they've poured out of everything that the Lord's given them and they've not taken the time to fill back up. When God is the God who's saying, I have more than enough for you, all you have to do is have the faith to pour out what I've given you. And then you've got to come back and come to me as your source. I will fill up those jars. I am the God of more than enough. So listen, if you're living in a place of scarcity today, or even if you're living in abundance and you're holding on to what God has, the challenge that I have for us this morning, I believe the challenge that God has for us this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, is what we have especially you know in our american culture it's just become it's become the, the land of the comfortable right it's become our stuff our possessions have possessed us when we hold on to them tightly what we own begins to own us and there is one path and there is one remedy and there is one antidote to this prison of materialism and it is to find an empty jar and to pour your life out you just pour your life out whatever you have and this is so much bigger than money this is your time this is your prayer this is your compassion for those that are hurting and you just begin to pour listen every time that I have gotten stuck spiritually in my life, I can look back and I can trace it back to a place where I started loving and living for the things of this world. (laughs) That's where it always goes to. And I can get myself out of being stuck every single time I just find a way to begin pouring out to God what he's been pouring into me. That'll get me unstuck every time. And I get myself out of being stuck. This is right from the pages of scripture. If we just start pouring, then the God of more is faithful to start refilling. Practicing generosity is like weightlifting. If you start lifting 30-pound reps, which is roughly a third of your body weight if you're 100 pounds, you're gonna have a much easier time lifting larger and larger weights as the time progresses, right? You start with the small ones and then you work your way up. If you want to, if you wait until you make it close to 300 pounds without working out on those smaller ones first, lifting 100 pound reps is going to be much harder to start with. Isn't that the truth? So the same is true for generosity. If we practice sharing and generosity when we have little, when we have that little bit of oil, if it becomes a habit, it increases along with the gifts and the provision that God gives us. I want you to think about this as we get ready to close. When you feel like I can't do it, I can't afford to do it, God's response to you this morning is you cannot afford not to. Listen. Listen. We have the faith to pour because we have a God who is, has more. He's the God of more than enough. We can have the faith to pour because we live from the God of more. This is who we are, unapologetically. And in this season that we are living in today, church, it is so utterly important that we not live and look like the culture. We have to look distinctly bizarre and honoring God with a tithe, and just living out our life as a, as a way of pouring out and living out of this irrational desire to find another place to pour out anything that God has given me. That is the life that God has called us to live. Not for the church's sake. Can I say that this morning? It's not for the sake of the church and not even for ours. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, first of all, he says, I need you to give joyfully. I want you to give with a joyful heart. And then this is what he says. Why? And then God is able to bless you, what's the word? Abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then look at this, you will be made rich in every way. Why? It's not for you, this is what it says, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. Isn't that beautiful? there will be people on the other side of eternity thanking you for how you poured your life out and it will result in thanksgiving to God amen want you to stand with me as we close in light of the savior paul wrote in philippians he emptied himself on calvary's cross guys how can we settle for a life of acquiring or achieving. It's not about acquiring or achieving, right? Instead, can I urge us this morning to pursue a life of being poured out, a life of emptying. And when we do that, he is faithful to fill us up and allow the wellspring of God to refill as you pour out. There is no other reasonable response than to pour your whole life out, to the God that has given his whole life, to the one who poured out his life for us this morning. So let's respond this morning. Father God, we're so thankful for your overwhelming goodness to us, your overwhelming love. God, it's incomprehensible. You love us so, so much. And this morning, we've been spending six weeks with our eyes set on things above. God, I pray, Lord, that you would take us to the place where we would be a vessel that you flow through. God, that you would be able to pour into us so that we could pour out. And Lord, be Jesus everywhere that we go, that we'd be so full of who you are, That everywhere we go, we're walking in the overflow and it just can't help but to (laughs) affect those that are in the room with us. There's an overflow because we are willing and ready to be poured out for your purposes. God, use what we can sometimes see as insignificant, what we can sometimes see as nothing. God, use us where we are at with the resources that you've given us right now to do what only you can do and open the doors that only you can open. Whether that's a bar on Bourbon Street or the streets here in Rapid City, the streets of our neighborhood that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that you would pour us out in our families, right here in our church. Lord, that we would see those of us here in the church family pouring out our lives for each other. Lord, that we'd see us walk out those doors this morning and all week long walking in the overflow because we've come to you every single day, say, fill us up so I can be spilled out. Lord, send me. God, use me to be a light in this world, to be a source, your source, you're the source, flow through me. In your mighty name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Derek's gonna come up and close us out this morning. Let's give God a hand. He's good, amen.
1: All right, good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, so I was thinking that, uh, man, I just can't get over, Patricia's message from last Sunday and we're really not jumping rails we're not jumping to a different topic we're, we're definitely still still in the same uh, still in the same groove but uh, Pam and I t- have been talking about it all week Sean and I talked about it at lunch on Friday and and, uh, you know, really, we come to this realization. Um, and, and for Pam and I, it's not really new information um, that Patricia shared so much as it was like confirmation of where we were already headed and, and uh, giving words to what we were feeling. You know, we, we follow Holy Spirit. We don't always know, we don't, we don't always have the words for it, but we know that we're following Holy Spirit. And then when those words come, there's like a light and you go, oh, yeah. And so we are going to have a moment. Of, uh, we're going to call this a salvation moment. But um, we're going to pray, uh, and, and the prayer is important, but not because it's, it's magic words. It's not something that, um, you know, my, my words, I lie. I'm a human, and we do that, and we try not to, and we don't want to, but we do. And uh, when we pray a prayer for salvation, when we, when we come to Jesus, our words need to come from our heart, and they need to be real. And what Pastor Patricia talked about last week was, was a metanoia encounter, being, coming face to face with Jesus, being drawn by Holy Spirit into a new life, having your life be changed in such a way that it can't change back. And when we have that kind of encounter, when our heart changes so much, we have to put words to it, you know? so if you um have been feeling this maybe you've been with us online the last couple of weeks or or maybe in house and you've just felt holy spirit you felt god you felt like through all these discussions you just felt like man my life is changing i'm understanding things differently nothing is going to be the same and you're at the point where where man this this is it i'm i'm going to follow jesus then we're going to pray together but maybe you're standing here and, and, you know, you've been to church for 100 years, man. You've never not been at church. If I think back, I don't remember not going to church. Uh, I've, I've missed a handful of Sundays in the last decade and very few before that. And, uh, you know, I can still stand on the outside of these conversations and I can look in and go, wow, I used to miss it. I used to say things like, I used to say things like, you need to get your life right if you don't know why that doesn't work, it's, it's because you can't get your life right. It's because you're a human. We're incapable of getting our life right. That's what Pastor, the, the, the crux of Pastor Patricia's message last week is, is, you know, when we, when we, when t- we talk about uh, uh, salvation, as far as like repentance, that's me making better choices and following Jesus because I can make better choices. But if I could make better choices, I wouldn't need Jesus. So if you're standing on the outside of that conversation and you've been living life like, man, I have to get up and repent every day because I mess up every day. That's not the relationship Jesus wants to have with you. I've been talking to the youth kids a lot lately. I know this is getting long, but stick with me. I've been talking to the youth kids um, about how, you know, in the Old Testament, God started walking in the garden with Adam and then Adam and Eve decided they wanted to live life their own way. And then all through the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament is God relating to mankind the way we wanted him to interact with us. We said, we want to be in charge. This is how we want to interact with you. Even when you see Israel was becoming a country, God wanted to have a kingdom of, of priests. And they were like, "Nah, we want a king. We want a king. And God was like, you don't want a king. They're like, we want a king. And so God was pushed out and a king was brought in. And the whole Old Testament is, is mankind dictating how we wanted to relate to God. But the New Testament, when Jesus came and walked among his people, that is who the God of the Old Testament wanted to be. So the New Testament is God showing us how he wants to interact with us. He wants to walk with us and talk with us like Jesus did. So if you've been standing on the outside of of, of Christianity or you've been standing in it saying, man, I have to repent all the time. I feel like such a failure because I have to just constantly repent. Don't repent anymore. Just hang out with Jesus. Let him guide you. Let him speak to you. Let him love you. And as he does, remember, that's the father's heart and that was always the father's heart. So we're gonna pray. Because I believe that, that for some of us, our heart is there, and we're going to put some words to our feelings this morning, okay? And uh, if you don't want to say what I'm saying, say something else. Seriously, whatever's in your heart, I want you to say that. But God, I thank you so much for today. I'm going to pray for you first. Hang on. God, I thank you so much for today, for everyone in earshot of, of uh, uh, everything that you've been sharing with us. God, I thank you so much that we're in this time of reformation God, I thank you that we're seeing paradigms shift. We're seeing the world change in a way that it can never come back. God, I thank you that you put us here for this time, that we get to see and experience this moment. I would ask you to pray after me if you feel led. Uh, Jesus, I recognize you are my savior. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to change the way that I think. I want you to reform my life. In your name we pray. Amen, 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 amen.